people have gotten a lot more comfortable buying jewelry online. And I think some of that is the product of, of the innovations we've done and the investment we've made in improving that digital experience. I think some of it is just, you know, the more that they are using e-commerce in other channels, it also has a positive effect on, you know, their ability to, to get comfortable with it in jewelry. This is the Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast, which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Welcome back to the Safari 2021. This is the first recording this year, and I am ready to go and very keen to get started with my first guest. We have not had anyone on the safari who comes from the jewelry industry. And so we thought it would be really wonderful to speak to an executive from, frankly, I think, the largest single uh, jewelry, if not diamond jewelry store in the world. And I think that uh, Bill Brace, who is the chief marketing officer of Signet Jewelry and the executive general manager of Jared Stores, is probably one of the best people we could find. So let's get started. Bill, so nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on the safari. Yeah, thanks for having me, Morty. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. So where are you right now? You're, you're in. A, I can. I can see you. Others can't. You're in a beautiful, I, I think, dining room at your home. Where are you again? I'm. Uh, I'm just east of Cleveland, Ohio. So. There you go. Well, so our 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 headquarters, our Signet headquarters, are down uh, in Akron. I chose to 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 live up here in Cleveland for a little bit more of a metropolitan experience. There we go. Well, you like the rest of us at this recording are in some form of uh, shelter in place. I don't know how we <laughs> we call it these days. Um, so uh, let's kick off this uh, twenty twenty one season and uh, talk about the jewelry industry. And I think just for uh, the listener who may not know your business, and if they don't, they've been living under a rock, uh, give us sort of the the 90-second overview of yourself, your role, and the company itself. Yeah, so l- let me start with Signet. I, I think um, a lot of people have never heard of Signet Jewelers, um, but they have heard of our banners, right? So K Jewelers, Jared, Zales, Piercing Pagoda. Um, we've got a couple banners in the UK, also jamesallen.com. So um, some of the biggest names in jewelry, um, and as you kind of alluded in the intro, we are the world's largest retailer of diamond jewelry. And at Signet, um, I've been there about two and a half years now. I play three roles, actually. I'm the, I'm the chief marketing officer for the company. I'm also the executive general manager of our Jared stores. Um, and then I also lead up our services business, which right now includes you know products like our extended warranties, um, our repair centers, those kind of things. 
and, and service is everything in, in, in that business in particular, I'm sure. So listen, I think at first blush, someone listening who doesn't know anything about your business would say, oh, poor guy, he is in a jewelry business that it's an expensive item that is a mall-based retail company and that, frankly, um, weddings have been postponed. Um, they, must, they must have really suffered. You haven't, and you've done incredibly well. Your whole company seems to have, the, the pivot word, here it is, you've pivoted uh, in a way that, um, that many others have had to as well. Um, so how have you, uh, generally speaking, because we'll dive into some of the specifics a little bit later on, um, how have you all fared over this time? You know, we've, we've done well. We've been pleased with our performance. Um, and uh, actually, we just announced some of our, our, our holiday results yesterday. Um, over the holiday period here, we were able to grow um, as a company 5.6% comp um, uh, total and 7.8% and in North America. Um, it's our best holiday um, results in nine years. Um, so we feel we feel good about that relative to that, you know, kind of historical comparison um, and uh, relative to our peers, uh, our, our industry data tells us that jewelry as a category was down three to four um, percent. That's that's Mastercard data. Um, so our our growth in contrast to that overall category challenge is is pretty rewarding. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a whole lot more about this, but I, I would just give you the top line. It, I would say a lot of our success came down to our ability to move very quickly in COVID. And and really focus on digital innovation, yeah. Um, and and really facilitate that move to online sales. Um, and our online sales were up um, over fifty seven percent during the holiday period. So really fast growth that 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 led um, our overall growth for the season. Yeah, so to all those who say you can't sell jewelry online, you say eat crow, right? <laughs> it, seems, <laughs> it seems to work. Um, but yeah. I think specifically, quite interestingly, um, and many big companies have had to do this as well. I mean, you have 3,200 stores approximately. Uh, and for your CEO to announce in October that we just lit up um, buy online, pick up in store, which people might think is easy to do. But ultimately, there's a logistical element to that and a whole procedural element to it that some companies, especially big public companies, would take a year and a half maybe to roll out some yeah. kind of you know, schema for that kind of a thing. Sounds like you've had to roll out not just one schema uh, for something innovative, but maybe a handful of things. Uh, but so starting with the um, buy online, pick up and store, BOPIS, how, how did that go? How quickly were we able to just do it and and were there any procedures that you said look we just haven't got time for that let's just go yeah i mean you're right we um honestly we didn't decide to launch that till probably june when it became evident that the pandemic was gonna you know was gonna be extended it was gonna be protracted it was gonna extend into holiday season and you know we had we had to live as a company off of e-commerce and virtual sales for you know the better part of two months and we said, with all the unpredictability, we, we have to have that, you know, that capability. So it became mission critical. And you're right. If we, in a normal time, it would have taken more than a year. Um, but our survive, you know, we acted like our, our survival depended on it because we gen- genuinely believe that was the case. And, you know, what, what has been so remarkable through COVID is 
we found time and time again, when we focus as a company, we can move mountains, right? When it when it's really clear what the priorities are, we can make it happen. And and we did in this case. I, I really credit the team that that did it for moving as fast as they did. And there were, you're right, there were all kinds of of operational challenges, getting, you know, getting that up in our stores, managing that on top of the normal workload. Um, getting our system set so that we could get the right inventory reads and accurate, you know, information up for our customers to decide what they were, you know, what they could purchase, um, and 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 how to how to make it happen. But in the end, we were really pleased. I mean, we were able to fulfill the majority of our orders within four hours, and and really ended up being a you know a, a key enabler, especially in those final days when shipments turned off to our e-commerce success. And consultation, which is so important in the physical experience, um, you also tried to adapt for a non-physical experience. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, and, and and maybe it, before I dive into the details of that, I think one of the things that we'll probably talk a fair amount about here today is is you know the essence of why has jewelry developed maybe more slowly online, and what's enabling us to accelerate now. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, jewelry is obviously a high value purchase. It is a relatively infrequent purchase for most people. Um, and it is a it is a purchase that often they feel intimidated by, right? They feel intimidated either because they don't know that much about the jewelry and it gets confusing when you start talking about four C's and carrots and you know, all of that kind of stuff. They feel often that it's not necessarily a transparent transaction, right? Where they, 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 they don't necessarily know if they should feel confident in the value and and all of those kind of things. So that's why, you know, jewelry in a lot of ways, jewelry retailing hasn't changed that much for decades, maybe centuries or even millennia, right? You, you, people go to someone they trust. They, you know, you often hear in the industry, I got a guy, right. Which is code for, I've got somebody I trust and therefore you can trust them. And, you know, that's who people shop with. And I think the, also the, the, the idea that in an economic, um, maybe uncertain, uh, economic uncertainty, that value is one thing about the product and the service, but also the retention of value of yeah. jewelry, of especially fine jewelry. Um, people so, sort of weren't going on vacation uh, anymore, and presumably um, they needed um, to make it up to their significant others uh, and, and buy some jewelry, a nice piece of something, uh, whether it be um, in your category or, or elsewhere. But I think that that must have... Uh, impacted you or did, did you feel that in some way or, or or is that sort of hard to tell? For sure. I mean, I think um, in light of this situation, uh, people have felt good about buying jewelry and gifting jewelry, something that they have confidence will be of more lasting value, right? And not just temporal in the same way that, you know, some of the, the other ways that that they might celebrate you know, are, are just more temporary and fleeting and, you know, and experiences or travel or those kind of things, you know, but going back to your, your question about the virtual consultations, you know, so, so jewelry has lagged other categories in the development of e-commerce. I mean, we've been in the low double digits here, you know, for the last couple of years. And, um, 
And it's because of that trust factor, right? People want to go into a store. They want to be able to talk to somebody. They want to get that human. They want to establish that human connection and have that, you know, that ability to, you know, to really have a conversation and really look at something before they buy. Obviously, when our stores shut off, then it was it was a huge threat to the survival of our business. Um, and so we sprung into action. And fortunately, we had piloted in Jared last fall. We had piloted some virtual consultation, um, you know, with with the ability to go onto our website, click a button, be able to to be taken directly to an in-store consultant where you could have a video chat with them. Um, for a variety of reasons, it wasn't, you know, fully successful in our, you know, in our estimate. We kind of put it on the back burner through holiday. Well, you know, in March, we woke up, our stores were closed. That was, you know, in addition to normal e-commerce, that was, that suddenly became priority number one. And within 48 hours of us closing our stores, we had relaunched that feature on our websites. And I would tell you, it, 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 you know, through that time, but even after our stores have reopened, that ability to, you know, to have, you know, to establish that, embed that human connection in an otherwise digital experience um, has been, I would say, enormously successful. I mean, our customers tell us they love it. We routinely have, you know, user ratings of 4.6 or above. And it's been a huge enabler of sales that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to get. So the consultation, though, obviously, I can I can visualize that, and I can't wait after this to go and check this out because I should have done it before. It, but but to to consult is one thing, but to then be able to visualize the item, did you use different kinds of photography, videography, uh, to actually be able to you know almost touch or see that uh, piece up more clearly? Uh, what was used? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that is a big part of it, right? And and being able to, you know, with this video consultation, be able to have the consultant walk around, show people in the cases. I would tell you that in the store. Yeah, so that they're actually in the store. Although we had Got some it. people that were working from home, right? I mean, we've had to be very fluid on this. But you, you brought up another really good point, Morty, that I would say has been has been and continues to be a really big focus for us, which is the visualization of jewelry. Jewelry is a visual category. At the end of the day, it's all about, you know, what people see, right? And, and so we have, we have some, you know, technologies, um, uh, you know, proprietary technologies that al allow, you know, loose diamonds to be magnified at 40 times and rotate, you know, 360 degrees. And, you know, what I was talking about transparency, this is a good example of, being transparent so people can see with extreme magnification exactly yeah. what they're getting and the unique characteristics of that particular diamond, right? And, you know, so that's one example. Another example of something we actually introduced, you know, since COVID um, hit is what we call visual search. So if you go on our websites, there's a little camera icon. Um, you can either take a picture with your mobile phone or you could upload a photo from um, Pinterest or Instagram or or whatever, and it will it will then curate your search results to to bring up products that we have that are either the identical piece or something very similar to it to help guide your you know your search and browse process to be much more efficient. 
because that's the, that's the behavior. A lot of people will come into stores with a picture on their on their camera and say, "You have something like this." <laughs> so we, yeah. we brought technology to facilitate that that kind of search and discovery process. And had you always, uh, well, had you always, had you recently, let's say 2019, in 2019, were you already onboarding technology providers to try and provide this? I know you you talked about the pilot program with Jared, but did you find yourself in a moment at the beginning of 20 saying, okay, we got to fire these guys up quickly? Or were you actually now going out to seek these services and providers and SaaS platforms in the technology realm to drive your innovation? Yeah, I'd say I'd say both, right? So there were a number of things like some of the examples that I've given you that that were, let's say, in the hopper, maybe yeah. before, but weren't seen with the same priority. So what what changed was the priority and the immediacy, and you know, a little bit like we were talking on Bopus, what what pre COVID may have taken us months or even a year or more was taking us days and weeks because of that extreme focus on get it done, you know, really bringing together all the multifunctional resources to mobilize immediately and with, you know, with a singular purpose. Crisis, the mother of invention, you know? Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, there were new things that we went out and, and sought that we didn't anticipate we would need uh, before COVID. You know, we have some, uh, you know, as an example, we piloted some, you know, live shopping technologies and events that honestly, we didn't really think about until we got into COVID. And that was, you know, seen as another way to outreach and connect with our customers while they're at home, while that's the the primary venue for them to be able to shop. Um, And so we did a number of those events for our different brands. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. So it's really interesting. One of the themes that I've, I've, I've experienced sort of talking to many people about how they changed within this environment was that they, were, they felt unshackled by the potential for criticism from stakeholders uh, because of the pandemic. Therefore, they could move quickly and unapologetically uh, and act almost as if they were the entrepreneurial founders of that business, even though they may be a public company or or, or even a, a large company for that matter. Do you think that that sort of sentiment is something that you guys felt? And, and if it was, um, how does one hold on to that yeah. so that when the world does stop yeah. spinning again, that we don't have to be shackled by too much process and layers upon layers of bureaucracy. Not that I'm implying that's what no, you have. No, I'm saying in companies in general. It is such a great question, Morty, and it is something that we um, we have talked a lot about, you know, as a leadership team. Um, because I, I think you're right. We were thrust in a position, not unlike you know so many other companies, where failure was a real prospect, 
And when failure is a real prospect, it changes your mindset around risk profile. Yes. <laughs> you know, it led us to do things, you know, like the example I gave you on, on virtual consultation. I would tell you the experience and the, and the process and the way that all works now is different than it did in those early days. We had much, you know, really embrace much more of what we call an MVP or minimum viable product kind of mindset to get something out and launch it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to, you know, it has to have clear objectives. It has to have, you know, it has to be, it has to be good, but it doesn't have to be perfect. So move fast and then optimize as, as you go. And, and I would say, you know, obviously COVID has been a terrible situation. But there are some silver linings. And, and one of those silver linings is I think we will carry forward some of the lessons of how we worked and, and how that was liberating in terms of speed yes. and in terms of delivering results that we will carry forward with us. And it is an active discussion we have as a team to say, how do we make sure we don't lose some of the focus we had? Um, how do we make sure we carry forward some of the agility that we essentially built as new muscle? Yeah. Now, are, are you are you guys um, primarily a North American business? Primarily, about ninety percent of our business is in North America. We also, I mentioned, we we have a couple of UK uh, banners: H Samuel, H Samuel, and Ernest Jones. We also have the People's uh, Banner in Canada, uh, but about ninety percent of our business is in is in North America and the US. So what was interesting to hear um, you speak about was regarding just beaming into a store, right? Or uh, beaming or broadcasting on one of the social media platforms from a store can reach anywhere, right? And that uh, you presumably can now sort of start to spread your wings beyond North America without physically having to leave North America. Has, has there been any sort of um, smoke there? Yeah, I, I would say you know we've we've had some conversations about that, and it and it and it definitely, you know, this is where I think you know the 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 rapid acceleration of e-commerce is is a great thing for us. One because it's a better customer experience, but like you say, it it really this whole experience has opened our minds to how we think about our our business beyond the boundaries of four walls, right? Yeah, yeah. and so you know you're referencing one angle of that, which is international. Um, but even, you know, even domestically, you know, how do we think about our ability to compete in markets where we don't have a physical store? We have that capability yeah. now. <laughs> we have that capability. Yeah. And, and, and for the first time, we're thinking, you know, very intentionally about how we unleash that. This time is rushing by. So I, I have so many more questions, but I'll try and, I'll try and uh, now dive into the consumer a little bit. So how have you felt, I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but how have you felt that the consumer has evolved over this past year? And, and you know, as you said a little bit earlier, whether, it's, whether, whether that, some of it will stick, some of it won't, whether they will revert back or whether they won't, particularly, I think, in the, their, their psychology around jewelry, around that item and the behavior, um, have, you, have you seen any significant changes? Yeah, I mean, I, I would talk about a couple things, Morty. I mean, first of all, I would say another, you know, silver lining, if you will, of COVID has been it's probably been, it's broadly been good for relationships. So some of our, you know, research tells us that you know, forty-seven percent of people feel better about the relationship they're in than they did before COVID. 
about 45% think it's about the same, which means 93% of people feel as good or better about the relationship they're in than before COVID. So it's it's a good time to be in the love and relationship business. And at a time when, you know, some of the ways to celebrate those relationships like travel and other experiences, whether it be spa or restaurant are, are, are less accessible, um, people are gravitating to jewelry, right? And they are looking for tangible, lasting expressions of that. Yeah. You know, we hear from some of our people like they're they're looking for jewelry simply to celebrate the end of 2020, right? Like we got through <laughs> this. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I would say that's that's one thing. I, I think the second big change we've already talked a lot about, but it is, you know, it has been a people have gotten a lot more comfortable buying jewelry online. And I think some of that is the product of of the innovations we've done and the investment we've made in improving that digital experience. I think some of it is just, you know, the more that they are using e-commerce in other channels, it also has a positive effect on, you know, their ability to to get comfortable with it in jewelry. Right. So yeah. every time, every time somebody clicks buy on Amazon.com or, you know, gets DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of that kind of stuff, it it just starts to, you know, just it it just makes those flywheels spin that much faster. So that would be the second factor is just the comfort level. I think a third thing is we've we've seen, uh, you know, jewelry has always been about, you know, kind of self-expression and and whatnot. But what we've seen during COVID is is a trend to what we call Zoom-worthy jewelry, right? So people are looking for, you know, for bigger statements to make on their ears, right? <laughs> people are looking for bigger statements to make on their fingers, right? And, and you know, necklaces. So we, we've seen a real trend to bigger diamonds, right? So, you know, purchases in two carats plus has been, um, has gone up disproportionately. Um, we see, you know, a lot of growth acceleration in, um, you know, stud earrings, um, big, big gold hoops, you know, men's, uh, gold bracelets and necklaces, those kind of things. And then, you know, the other thing, the, the, the final thing I would say, and this is a bit of an offshoot from, you know, from that comfort online, we are seeing that people want to kind of continue that self-discovery mode of shopping when they get into stores. And so one of the things we've launched in, in a number of Jared's is what, what I call this, the self-discovery table, which is a display of diamonds so people can get a sense of the different sizes and what the different shapes look like, ability to compare different levels of, of clarity or color in the diamonds. But, but even more, uh, I would say, powerful has been that we have brought the jewelry out of the case and put it on top of the table. Yeah. So people can, they can pick up rings, they can try on rings, they can look at the rings, they can see what they're like. I mean, it's really liberated jewelry from, you know, yeah. where it's always been Open kind of behind yeah. the case, lock and key. And people love just sitting down at the table and trying things out. And then they, you know, they, yeah. they look at, they say, well, I like, you know, I like this feature in this ring and I like this feature in that ring. Is there anything you can do to put those together and whether that's a style we have or whether that's a design we do in custom. So that, 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 that I would say is those are a couple of things that we're really seeing, you know, accelerate through COVID. No, it's so exciting. And, and my, my last question on this sort of consumer, I guess, is 
I think social media over the last 20 years has really caused one of the greatest accelerations or morphings of demographics and psychographics that we've ever experienced um, in the last a few hundred years. I mean, the, the, the changes uh, in how people act, even the young young brides uh, and, and grooms, how they purchase uh, together sometimes more, it's no longer a surprise, uh, how various um, you know, multicultural consumers purchase, and then self-purchasing females, sort of the empowerment movement uh, of, the, of the female liberation, which has been an ongoing thing for decades, but obviously has taken on a whole new um, level in the last few years. H- have you seen this young, let's call it, I think we can still call them, I guess it's it's still it's it's young millennials who are probably in your sweet spot. H- how have they changed significantly from maybe the customer you remember ten years ago? Yeah, you know, I, I think in 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 let's say in demographics terms, they haven't necessarily changed that much. I would say what has changed is some of the behaviors and the way that they engage with the jewelry category and. You know what I, w- I would say. One of the biggest differences has has been in um, in in bridal and engagement, right? Where before there was, you know, I, I would say relative to before uh, ten ten years ago, it's a much more non traditional path to get there, right? Yeah. Most couples have lived together. Most have, or many have, gotten a a dog or a pet together. Often they have kids together. They've even bought a house together before they get engaged, mm-hmm. which is very different than before. It was you get engaged, <laughs> then you get the dog, then you have the kids, then you buy the house. So the, the sequence is is off, um, and so often they're coming much further in, you know, further down the path in terms of life stage. I would say another thing that we you know see as a as a you know, a slightly different behavior. We've got, you know, that the younger generation is, is less bound by convention, right? So that they are experimenting more with a, a wider yeah. variety of styles and um, stones, right? Using instead of a, you know, instead of a diamond, they, they might be getting a colored stone or even a black diamond, right? And, and so, yeah, it just it it is more open ended, um, in in and less conventional in in so many ways. I would also say that there's um, you know, there's another huge trend. I, I would say towards personalization and customization. People are less interested in buying quote unquote off the rack. They're much more interested in being able to combine you know a, a loose diamond with a special setting, or even you know through, you know, like jamesallen.com, configure a ring or in Jared, you know, we've set up um, and launched some new capability around full custom where they can go in, they can sit down with a designer in front of a, you know, in front of a, a CAD screen and design something truly bespoke. And then we have 3D printers that can print it out on the spot so they can see exactly what it's like, try it on. It's crazy. I mean, it's that kind of, of involvement and, and personalization that I think is really fueling some of the differences between the jewelry consumer of today and the jewelry consumer of 10 years ago. Well, Bill, you described your your some of your consumers as less conventional. It's certainly sounds as though that your company signet is also 
not conventional, and you're doing some wonderful things to iterate and change and, and grow and morph and use of technology. And, and frankly, um, as I said to you at the beginning before we joined, it's just so wonderful to meet incredible uh, executives at incredible companies and to hear the stories of, of change uh, during really times of, of great trouble. So, uh, Bill Brace, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the safari. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me, Morty. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.